Hello, everybody. Before we jump in, I just want to give a quick intro to my guest today, Jake Carls, one of the co-founders of Midday Squares. Uh, Midday Squares is a chocolate company, is what they like to go by, but really they're revolutionizing the way we think about eating chocolate. And they're based out of Montreal, Canada. Jake and his two co-founders, who are actually his sister and brother-in-law, um, they're a very electric group. They actually have their own podcast, which I'll link in the show notes. You should totally check that out. It's one of the best um, CPG food-led podcasts I've listened to. And um, they're building something special. We get into it in the episode. Um, he dives into what they're doing differently and kind of their long-term strategy as a business, uh, which is a lot different than most of the brands that I've had on here. And honestly, a lot of the brands out there in the food and beverage CPG space. So without further ado, give it up for Jake Carls of Midday Squares. everybody. We are live with another episode of Simply Finance with Shane White. I'm stoked today to have my buddy from the North, Jake Carls from Midday Squares on the podcast. Jake, thanks for coming on, man. Dude, I'm fired up about this. When when we chatted on LinkedIn, like, you know, like I think it was a week ago or a little longer than that. And I was just jacked up because like, honestly, like I love meeting people. I love meeting people that are making things happen, just doing and executing things. And like, I don't know, I'm just jacked up to have our conversation that we're going to have today. And I'm grateful that you, you, you know, you reached out. Love it, man. No, I appreciate it. Thank you. I, uh, it's funny. I, I told you this before we started recording. Um, I saw you guys do your own podcast. I was like, oh, this is cool. And then I saw the brand and obviously I'm in a, the protein bar category. So I'm like, these guys are just doing something really cool. They, you have great vibes. I love the like good vibes stuff. That's that totally resonate with that. So um, I appreciate it. Would you mind giving everyone just a little background on what Midday Squares is and then what your role is? Yeah, dude, 100%. My name, first of all, my name is Jake Carls. Um, I'm one of the co-founders of Midday Squares. We're a family business. It's me, my sister, and my brother-in-law. They're married. Um, so that's kind of wacky. Um, <laughs> but, you know, we, we call it the tripod. Um, but we started in 2018, August 2018, um, in Montreal, Canada. So we are in the north uh, in the cold, cold weather. Right now it's negative 25, I think. Oh, boy. Uh, <laughs> Love it. And yeah. <laughs> Yeah, the goal was we, we wanted to solve the afternoon snacking problem for chocolate. We really went after, you know, becoming a chocolate company, kind of like if you look at what, you know, a modern day Hershey would look like if they started in like 2018, that's what we wanted to build towards. So okay. we are a manufacturer and we're also a brand. So our first product line was the first functional chocolate bar. Basically, imagine you take a chocolate bar, so real chocolate, so it's 90% dark. Okay. And then you take a protein bar, you have a baby with the two, but you kind of get rid of the chalky taste, the artificial stuff that, that that's in that, and you stay on the chocolate side. So, you know, a lot of bars in the space um, were in roving chocolate or flavored chocolate. We wanted to be an indulgent that was that like 2 p.m., you know, snack that oh, yeah. got you to your dinner time. And yeah, everyone was in the chocolate space was trying to do just a chocolate bar. So like a standard, like some great brands like Hue, uh, Lily's, you know, Alter Eco, all these brands were just a like great taste in products, but there was no function. There was nothing to it more than, oh, I'm going to have this for the sake of the taste of the indulgent aspect. But then there was all these protein bars that were, you know, doing all kinds of functions that were great, but they weren't on the real chocolate side. So we said, let's just make a plant-based real food ingredient chocolate bar that was kind of, you know, an indulgent, but also functional. And yeah, so that's midday squares in the shortest format. And uh, we, we tried to co-pack our product, man, and we couldn't do it. No, no co-pack. I think we went to 26 across North America. Oh, wow, really? And they wanted to, yeah. And they wanted to change the product, dude. They were like, we can only do this if we reverse, if, you know, we, we put, you know, palm kernel oil instead of cocoa butter. If we get this machinery, you got to buy it for us. And we're just like, excuse my lines. We're just like, fuck that. And no, we decided to go. Fine. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, guys. Okay, good. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. And dude, we're just like, we're like, we're going to have to go build out a factory, a fully automated plant. It's going to take time. It's going to take risk. It's going to be expensive. But if we believe in this and if we're going guns blazing, then we're going to do it. So my sister went and she built out this, this plant that I'm actually in right now um, that could do 90,000 bars a day. And everything was customized. It's 125 feet of machinery. And uh, we could do all kinds of chocolate snacks. And yeah, dude, that's, the, that's more or less the gist of what the product is. 
So you guys actually, oh, wow. See, I, I was going to say that's a huge differentiator just in itself. So you guys actually created a facility and you're manufacturing it in-house. Everything's in-house oh. from our front, our, our, our office to our production. And it's really cool. And they're micro plants. So we could build these for about 2.8 to $3 million each, and they could support up to 70 million in revenue. So we could, you know, I could go build one in Chicago where you are at yeah. just to have it more central for the U S sure. and it's not, a, a, it's not like craft or where, you know, they build a million square foot plants that do everything. We don't want to have that. We want to be different plants set up in different areas um, just because of the convenience and how lean manufacturing works and not, you know, because our product's fresh. It doesn't just right. last, it lasts 90 to hundred days. So oh, okay, yeah. Got to do everything's got to be lean, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, that's a lot of power because I mean, the world I come from, I mean, we're planning production months and months and months out, and then you're locked in, and if thing changes on a, anything changes on a dime, you're stuck with that inventory, or you need more inventory, and you can't get it quick enough. So that's powerful to have yeah. it in house. You can walk in the back and tell them to turn it on. <laughs> yeah, no, that you know, and every day I go, I, I go take a walk in the plant, and I just look at it, kind of like Willy Wonka's like chocolate factory. And oh yeah, it, it's what, yeah, dude, it's what fires me up every day to keep going because at the end of the day, that part of the plant, there's problems. There, you know, we don't have those necessarily those production problems, but we have machine breaks. Sure. We have, you know, something's off in the plant. This, that, you know, it, it's a lot of extra stress. But without that, the story wouldn't be what we what we have today. And I think. Um, what also gives us a little bit of a competitive edge with these, you know, with time, if someone wanted to go make the exact same product, just to automate it would take them a lot of time to figure out because again, these are custom machines that were built. No, no factory had these, these machines built. They're different ones that were customized to build this line. And it's wow. a very, yeah. Cause bars are, believe people don't realize that bars, the dough in bars are really complex. Sometimes yeah. the process is complex and we don't, you know, we don't heat, we don't do all that stuff. Like our product's raw and it's really hard to actually make it. And um, so we have like a year or two competitive advantage on the manufacturing side. But the another asset that we have um, that we didn't discuss is storytelling. We actually built our team to be a storytelling machine. So we show everything in this company, man. I mean, like it's radically transparent. If you go on our Instagram, Facebook, you go on our podcast, you go on LinkedIn, you'll see that we literally show the entire journey of how we're building midday squares with the good, the bad, the ugly, the failures, success. And that allows our consumers to come on the ride with us, the roller coaster with us and not just watch us. Right. Right. And and yeah, dude, it gets it gets hard, but our marketing team is no marketing. It's all just content creators in-house. They're all just videographers, editors, and producers. And um, it was a different approach, you know? Yeah. Oh, it sounds like it. I mean, it sounds like from the ground up, it's been very different. What was like, I mean, what 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 must that process have looked like to like make the decision? Because I think the first thing that comes to probably most people's minds, including mine, is like that had to cost so much money. So like when you guys were trying to figure out the co-packing thing, it sounds like, I mean, that was just a pain in the ass anyway, because no one could really do it the way you wanted it. Um, could you maybe walk us through just like how you guys thought through that and ended up coming up with the idea of like, let's just bring this in house and make our own. Yeah. So as soon as like, you know, my, my sister and my brother-in-law, they would go to the tour of the plants and try to figure out the manufacturing and, you know, they would get the answers every single time we could do this product. If we, um, change it up. We use different ingredients. We do this, 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 that. And they would just keep hearing that from all the big co-packers in, in, you know, in North America. And then there was one that told them specifically, listen, we just can't do it. Go, go build it out yourselves. And for us, we were like, at that point, we're like, okay, what's this going to cost? Yeah. And we, we originally came up with the number. My sister originally came up with the number that it was $1.4 million. So we were like, okay, well, we got to go fundraise that. We got to go find that money. You know, we've proven the concept already by making the bars by hand. We were able to kind of like, you know, already see that sales were going up. We were able to actually see that there was a product market fit, right? Cause that's the most important at the beginning. Sure. And then, so my brother-in-law went to go raise some money and you know, he loves finance. He, you know, you love him to be honest. Okay. He loves finance and stuff like that. And you know, when he was raising mid mid to right at the end of the race, we had the money set with this company called uh, this, this fund called Boulder food group. They're incredible. Um, they believed in us even before seeing this plant live, they just wow. saw paperwork of it. Sure. Yeah. And Les before, right before the raise was about to close, my sister went to Nick and said, we're going to have to do another 1.5 million on top of that because it ain't going to work. Otherwise we're not going to be able to build this plant for, for, for 1.4 million. It's going to cost about 2.8 to $3 million. Oh, so wow. he was like, Holy shit. We're just about to close the raise at that point. And he now has to go tell him we need, a, we need this much more. And long story short, you know, <laughs> we actually went to the Canadian government. The, the Canadian government has a lot of um, 
incentives and programs and ways to um, encourage manufacturing and especially where we are in Quebec, which is like, a, you know, as a province, kind of like how your state yeah. of, you know, you know, it basically, it's like your Illinois where you are. Right. And we basically went to the government. They have these programs that basically fund machinery for manufacturing specifically. Oh. And they're very easygoing and they want you to grow. You They want you to build here in Quebec so you could hire, you could, you know, build, sure. you know, build, it helps the economy in Quebec, right? Exactly. Yeah. So they ended up lending us about $2.8 million um, to oh, go wow. build it out actually. And yeah, that was huge because, and lending, we're talking about like, you know, great, great, great rates and, you know, just, you know, a great terms. It's just great terms to help entrepreneurship happen. Oh, that's really cool. And yeah. Shout out to Investment Quebec. Cause if you're in Quebec, if you're listening to this, go out and reach out to them. They're super awesome and super helpful. And that helped us build out that aspect to go build out the, the plant. But at that time, we never had, it wasn't set in stone on what exactly was going to happen. My sister had to go, you know, you can't go test drive machines. Like if you're going to buy a Ferrari at a, you know, you can't, you can't do it. You have to, it's all theoretical, yeah, right? Right. Because they're, they're custom. So they're not going to go build the machine and say, oh no, you have to pay the, you have to put your down payments down for that stuff. And I just remember her saying to, you know, Nick and I, there's like a 92% chance this works. You still got that 8% chance that this could collapse. This just sure. could not work. Yeah. So that, that was a worry, man. That was scary bit, but thank God, you know, now we're in 2021 and our plant is, is fully, you know, it's operational and the machines do work. Yeah, um, right. But again, it's scary. It's scary. No, man. I, I understand that. I mean, we've, uh, in my time at RX, we've tried to launch, you know, lots of different innovation. And one of the ones, I mean, I just remember it was just like, every time we were with, we had a co-packer, <clears throat> but it was just every time we'd go, I mean, there was just something new that it just wouldn't work and it, it's frustrating, but to know you have to like put money up front. I mean, that's pretty, that's pretty tough. So for you guys, then I guess, you know, one of my questions I, I normally ask is around, you know, bootstrapping versus fundraising. Did you guys, when you started midday squares, did you guys expect to it someday probably have to fundraise or were you hoping to bootstrap? And then when you decided to bring manufacturing in house, was it kind of like, okay, no brainer. We, we need to fundraise type of thing. Yeah. So, so basically the three of us came from different backgrounds. Um, we've all been entrepreneurs for quite a while now. We've all tried vent, you know, ventures and failed, lost money. Um, and like on my last venture, I lost about $45,000. My sister lost, you know, I think hundreds of thousands on her fashion business. Okay. And my brother-in-law has failed on four businesses and hit, he had one successful one that hit in the software space. So he sold that out. He sold out of that business and had, you know, money to put into this business. Um, but for me, I put everything in my personal bank account that I had at the time uh, in 2018. And I basically had to move back home to my parents' house. Thank God I was able to. Yeah. But right. um, we, we said, you know, we're going to put in this kind of money to start. And we know we're going to have to fundraise at some point, one way or another. We didn't know how soon we'd have to do that. We actually had to do it really quickly. Um, okay. But our goal was $250,000 of revenue in our first year. That was the goal to hit the North Star was let's hit that. We ended up hitting 712,000, I think, in the first year. In the first year? And oh, that's yeah, incredible. Dude, dude, it was whack. And um, and that's when we realized like, okay, let's fundraise. And the problem with fundraising, we didn't realize how long due diligence can take and stuff yeah. like that. So our first one took six and a half months of due diligence, which is crazy. So yeah. when we got our term sheets in that first end of first year, almost in July, we only closed the round. I think it was like, you know, it was in like January, uh, December. Uh, so think about that time or October, December, November time. Yeah. And we didn't know that. So that actually hurts because if things fall apart and I always tell people and until the money's in your account, you could sign all the paperwork you want. It doesn't, it doesn't mean anything. Right. Because both raises that we've done aside from the government, the government was fine aside, you know, we've had people pull back, you know, some money from it and had to find someone else to fill it, which is, you know, it's, it's, it sucks. And a lot right. of entrepreneurs don't realize that, that, you know, it's not done till it's literally in the account. And um, so any advice to people with fundraising, and I know in our CPG space, especially in the food and beverage world, people are fundraising like crazy right now. It's like yeah. every, every day you hear of a new one every right. day. Oh yeah. It's been, it's been constant. Yeah. I mean, do you have, that that world and like if there, we've had founders on here that we've talked about it a little bit. Do you have any advice for anyone who like we? I mean, it's funny when I ask because like there's not like a cookie cutter way to go even find the right people to ask. But like, do you have any any learnings from that whole process that you could share with people on just like you know do's and don'ts maybe? 
Yeah, dude. Um, so it's an emotional roller coaster. Um, that's for sure. So be prepared to go ups and downs. Like I said, like we had everything smooth and then suddenly um, one way or another and our, and our books were clean and everything was radically transparent. It's just, you know, sometimes things just change. My, you know, mindset changes, risk becomes a different scenario in someone else's eyes right. and they could pull back. People could pull back till the last minute, like, and just be prepared for something like that. And, you know, don't just build out to rely on one egg. You know, they say, don't put your baskets in just one egg. And, um, you know, sorry, don't put your egg in one basket. Yeah. I think that other entrepreneurs got to realize that like, you know, in our story, it happened twice and we were prepared the second time really fast, like snap of a finger to solve that problem. And, you know, again, it could happen again and maybe a third raise that we do or fourth, whatever it is. And I think that, you know, you just got to be prepared for that. Also when choosing who you want to, you know, partner with you, Choose it carefully. Uh, be wise. Like we wanted to be with people that we can go sleep on their couch and feel comfortable doing that when we go visit, yeah. and like actually just jam and be able to shoot the shit and have a good time with. You know, not so much on the you know business relationship, but like have a personal relationship with them. You know, we with all our investors, we're very very close with, okay. um, and and it creates a very good dynamic in our board meetings and and in just like in general when we have questions or they have questions, it's it creates that personalization where it's not so much like what's happening it's more like okay what's going on are we going away for a vacation soon are we going to hang are we going to this and that you know and for us because we're a manufacturer we chose people that actually came to come fly in and see our plant and actually made that effort oh, again yeah. that shows dedication and you know boulder food group decided to fly in and come see it and this time we had a small kitchen it wasn't even our plant and they came to feel it. And that just shows a lot of respect that they care. And it's not just about number game. And it's not just about, you know, it's not just a game about paperwork. It's actually, right. you know, there's a story behind it. And, yeah. And then and they probably want to get to know lot, you guys. Right. Exactly. So you got to get in bed with these people. Like for us, like you're in bed with these people. It's not just a finance relationship. It's, it's, it's a, it's a journey. It's a roller coaster. And you know, it's an emotional one. Like things are going to go wrong. Every company shit happens. And I don't care. It's not all it's not always all flowers and sunshine. It's there's a lot of rain that comes even during this pandemic. For example, think about this pandemic shit, shit went South. Our first month we crashed 70% in sales, you know, like oh, that's, wow. a, that, that's, that's a hard thing to explain, yeah. but we figured it out, you know, and you know, it's, it's like when you have those investors that feel like family, you feel comfortable being very transparent and very real with them. And the same thing back. So communication is very, is very important. Don't hide things. And just be open-minded to the conversations. And, you know, again, we follow our gut on everything. Um, everything we do is the, our gut feeling and our investors respect that. And they, they, that's what they invested in. They invested in us building a business. So we always remind them that when we make rash decisions, not rash decisions, but we're not going to go buy a helicopter. But if we want to go invest, yeah. you know, a million dollars in our media team, there's a reason why we're doing it and sure. what we believe in, yeah. you know? Yeah, it makes sense. I think um, that's a great piece of advice because I would think when things got tough, especially in COVID, you'd want to have the kind of people you could text, pick up the phone and be like, hey, like I'm struggling with this. Like, you know, obviously their money's in your business. Like what what's your suggestion? Or like, do you think this is a good way forward versus just I mean, if you have and I've been on the other side of this when you when you're in, you know, when you're in business with someone who it, they just care about the results, well, that's not a great time to be their partner when things aren't going well. Right. So that's great advice. And dude, I think another thing is, is we made it, we're very open. We're very open about what our goals were and our goals were not to sell the company. Um, we're not, we're not planning on selling the company. Um, we want to climb to the top of the mountain over the next 10 to 15 years, maybe going to IPO or something like that to build it to that level. But we want to stand it. next to Hershey's and Mars and, you know, Mondelez and all these great Kellogg's, all these great companies. Um, we actually want to put our flag next to them. And, you know, the only way to do that is to go the full way. And, you know, there's amazing companies, you know, like RX bar, like perfect bar, like, uh, you know, Hugh kitchen, every, all these great companies that have built their businesses. Yes. They've, they've sold their company and still are operating for, very well. But for us, we want, we want to kind of test the waters of trying to pass that in the sense of trying to keep climbing if we can. Yeah. And we made that clear with our investors and it's not the typical route that all of them necessarily want. Yeah. Um, but, but it's open. So that's interesting. So what uh, I would say, you know, especially in the food and beverage space, a lot of brands have this mentality of if you grow to the point where you're, a, you're able to sell, you're at this inflection point where you can either, you know, you can make out well, obviously. And then two, 
Um, if you don't, you might get swallowed up by bigger companies who can try to innovate and copy you. Um, what, 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 would your, what was your guys' thought process? Because I think it's really interesting. You don't talk to a lot of people who want to build a company no. next to the big boys. Um, and so thinking you guys could do this for a long period of time, like I would love to know what went through you guys' conversations to get to that point. So to be honest, personally, when I first started, when we first started in August 2018, I was like, yo, let's build this and let's sell it. Like I, I was inspired by a lot of the, our peers in the industry, like, you know, great, there's some great businesses out there. And that was my, that was my only thing on my mind. What, when is this going to happen? When's this going to do it? When's this going to And it was kind of like, I, it was on all of our minds, but my partner, Nick was really like enjoying the process. Like, I know it sounds so cheesy, but no, enjoying that everything sense. that's happening. Yeah. And he, he kept on kind of telling us like, yeah, like, I think we have a chance. Like, I think we could, if we could continue to build this, this business with the community that we're building and the products and the manufacturing, which is one of the assets that you could, like you said before, is yeah. you could just keep growing, 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 right? Um, we could potentially stand next to um, those big guys as a chocolate, as a chocolate business, but a modern day version of it. So like more of, you know, Hershey's products are, don't get me wrong. I loved eating them as kids. Um, but they're, they're, they were good when I was seven years old, eight years old. And the modern day customers is searching for different style products. They're right. searching for better for you stuff and different ways of communication. So different brand type of, you know, experiences, customer relation, like different way of how they interact with customers. And at that level already, it's very hard for them to figure that out because it's not easy to cross the edge or, you know, cross the red line or, you know, be, be a little bit, you know, uncensored, which is real life. Right. Right. And we all start to feel this thing where we're like, yo, we actually have a potential chance and we're still small. Don't get me wrong. We're going to hit like, you know, we're, we're aiming for 10 million in revenue this year, but at the wow. end of the day, Good for you guys. That, that, that's what we're that 10 to 12 is what we're going for this year. Um, but we're like, if we can continue the growth that we have and we can continue to building it authentically and we're just enjoying it, like having a really good time, a lot of appetite for, institutions to get behind us like we're talking about the big banks to get behind us to help us get to that level um and 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 liquidity events for anyone that wants to be part of this event that wants to get out they can get out on an ipo they can get out on a public you know on the public markets whenever they yeah. want and we don't have that pressure of when you selling 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 so we start to really enjoy this journey and we're like we start to feel it finally that you know we might have a chance there's an opening up there and how come no one's done it and we just want to see, obviously, you know, when we get to the big level of how, you know, some of these amazing companies have gotten to and then got acquired, obviously, I can't tell you how I'm going to feel at that point. Yeah. But I could tell you that the goal in our mind and, and what's in our heart is to get to that top level and kind of become that modern day chocolate company, functional chocolate company. Right. Well, it's interesting because I think um, the one thing maybe and you know, every, every company is a little bit different, but um, once you once you sell and you become part of a bigger organization, things change too. Like the, I would say like, you know, at RX, for example, the no BS thing, that's like something that we really drove home. You guys have your own, you know, branding. That's, I love it. It's very raw. It's very real. Once you're a part of a huge, you know, organization, sometimes that, that can't, you, you, you have to be kind of like with mom and dad a little bit more. Um, so I think that's really interesting for you guys. I mean, it sounds like you have a ton of runway and you have big aspirations. Um, do you think like the, do you think with scaling sales, scaling across the country with your warehousing and, and manufacturing, which personally that's to me, that's like the biggest like light bulb since, since we started talking, like that's a very, very interesting differentiator for you guys. Do you think the um, like the brand voice is also something that's scalable and it's something that like really resonates with your guys's you know consumer? Yeah. So our goal from day one was to kind of get the consumer to feel like they're buying from us, like not from a chocolate company, but from you know, for example, Nick, Leslie, and I, or in our midday squares team. It's like, oh yeah, I know those. I know those guys. I know those people. They're the crazy, fun, whack people. Yeah. I'm buying that product. And so kind of making it feel like we're their neighbors or their family members. We kind of wanted that. And we realized that that might be very hard to scale. But as we started to invest and as we raised money, a lot, you know, a good portion of the money was dedicated to our storytelling um, and dedicated to teams to build and scale that um, at the highest level possible. So for us, like, you know, like bringing on like a producer from Spike Television, for example, like oh, nice. just in that, that in a food space is like, whack when you tell someone that they're yeah. like why would you you know but for us it's important that we start arcing our storytelling it's that we keep getting the consumer to feel like we're more of a nike rather than a general mills you know 
or rather than a, yes. you know, a Saputo, one of those, which are great companies, don't get me wrong, but we want them to feel Nike when they're buying our product. And, you know, chocolate bars are, sorry, functional chocolate bars are our first product line, but, you know, we're going to go into everything, everything under the sun of chocolate. And oh, okay. that's why there's, there's so much room in there for growth and just opportunity. And I think that if we can keep the brand storytelling to be about building the business and kind of the real aspect of what it takes to be transparent and authentic in real life, I think the connection between the consumer can keep growing at that high level and that rapid army community building. Yeah. And that's what we believe we could do by building out the right storytelling capabilities, getting it out there on the right platforms. I think we could build it over the next 10 to 15 years to be that level of brand, you know, the level that the manufacturing is growing at the same time as the brand. Right. Yeah, I mean, I definitely agree. I think you definitely can. Um, so you guys, I think that's a great, great like leeway into another another point is that you. I think chocolate in general. I mean, I noticed this when I came to RX. It was, um, I thought all chocolate was bad. To be honest, I thought it was like unhealthy for you, packed with sugar. Could you maybe explain to everyone just like the the actual true cacao and chocolate, like health benefits of that, and then. To me, I think it's really cool. That was going to be a question is like innovation for you guys. I mean, if, if you guys are going to try to flip chocolate on its head and, and take on, you know, the big chocolate brands, uh, would love to hear a little more about that too. Yeah, dude. So um, chocolate, people don't realize that chocolate's growing so fast. Um, it's an indulgent, right? People love chocolate, but it's also, it's a permissible indulgent. A lot of the time, if it's made with cocoa butter, not palm kernel oil and added sugars, um, you know, we make our hot, hot chocolate in like everything's done in house here. So it's our own, like no one has the same chocolate as midday squares, because again, when we were trying to build these machines, the chocolate, the biggest chocolate machine makers in the world, that's, you know, do for Nestle, do for all these big companies. They were like, you guys are making it so different. Like what, why are you guys doing that? And for us, it was a it was the taste and the texture that we were really cared about. And it was different. So when you buy our, when you try our bars, you'll see the bite is that, is that crack. But mm-hmm. you also taste it, it just melts in the mouth. It's really, you know, it, it's a science. Chocolate's a science. Basically, you know, the, how you temper it, how you keep it the way it is, it's, it's, it's a whole process. And my sister's mastered that, even though she had no experience in the past with chocolate. That's awesome. Um, that it means you can go learn it, you know, you can figure it out. But um, the chocolate industry is growing tremendously. And I think people don't realize that chocolate, you know, there's so many antioxidants, there's natural energy from it, there's brain field, there's all this stuff that people don't realize how good chocolate is for you heart health. Um, and for us, if we can continue to play on the chocolate game, but then add the functionality through superfoods, like, yeah. you know, things like, you know, we use hemp, you know, we use all, all kinds of plant-based stuff. We use Yakon syrup, which is a really natural, really cool sweetener. That's, you know, really high in fibers and, you know, proper fats coming from like cocoa butter and not palm kernel oil. Um, again, it's a lot more expensive to do it, but sure. again, this is the way that our modern day customer wants. That's how they want their chocolate. And we're finding that more people, as they grow, are starting to appreciate the taste of dark chocolate. So real chocolate, not the milk chocolate that's out there. And you even see a trend changing in the big guys where I just saw a bunch of, you know, Kit Kat just went vegan, had a vegan bar, you know, all oh. these things. So yeah, uh, Reese's Pieces had a, they're creating a vegan organic, pro- I don't know, this whole organic game. They're so starting to add healthy, like, better for you stuff probably, it, right? Yeah. Exactly. But it's not as authentic for them than it is for a company that started that way. Right. Yes. And so for our innovations, like, you know, we want to tap into nostalgia for the nineties babies and stuff like that. You know, what, what did we have as kids that were, you know, unhealthier snacks that we could kind of, you know, not meet to product them, but innovate them to remind our customers kind of of what they are. So like, let's say, you know, for our, 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 our peanut butter flavor right now, it reminds you of a Reese's, but it's not like it at all in terms of any type of image of it or the, you know, the textures or the, the way it's built, it's completely different. A lot of bars just they just copy and they meet to the product yeah. and they, they do the exact same thing for us. It's like, we wanted a distinct difference, but a reminder. So when you explain our product, it's like, Oh yeah, it tastes like a healthy Reese. Um, and that's really where the innovation's going in our game. Um, and our R and D team is really good. We, yeah, everything's, you know, our R and D team comes for, you know, we're, we're investing a lot in the food science aspect okay. just to play with different things, you know, play with new, new types of, you know, types of products and products, what they do for you. How do they, benefit the person's life, you know, like what can we play with? Yeah. Oh, wow. That's wild. Yeah. I mean, I, my, as soon as you said that a little while ago, I was like, oh, there's so many chocolate based things. I love that. I could, I'm assuming you guys have up your sleeve that you're going to start working on. So that's very exciting. Um, so 2018, you do a little over 700,000. 
2021, you're hoping to do 10 to 12 million, huge jump. Um, what about, let's talk a little bit about distribution. Like, where are you guys? Obviously you're based out of Canada. Um, I'm here in the U S but be curious to know just like where you guys currently are. I'm assuming e-commerce is probably huge for you guys. Uh, just a little bit of a background where people can know where to find you guys. Yeah. So we do 40%, 35 to 40% on D to C. So online on our website, wow. yeah. um, a bit on, we're a bit on Amazon. We're growing now on Amazon. Um, but both the bulk of our business, 60%, um, is in the natural space in Canada. And again, we're refrigerated products. So it makes it a lot harder for distribution yeah. just because in Canada alone, the set, the refrigerated snacking set is not built out. We had to pioneer that set kind of oh. like how perfect bar did that over the last 13 years in, in, um, in the United States, we had to do yeah. that here. And it was hard, man. We had to, we had to like convince buyers to be like, yo, it makes sense to have a refrigerated, you know, snacking set. And they would put us next to the cottage cheese. And I'm like, yo, doesn't make sense there. It's not, it's an impulse product. It's a discovery yeah. convenience. Why are you putting us next to eggs and, and, and uh, cottage cheese, you know? Yeah. So that's, that, that's so funny. That was hard, man. And we're still working on that every single day here in Canada. So we're in about 1100 stores here, 1150 in Canada. Um, awesome. In the U S we're starting in the U S now, um, you know, next month, I think we start to open up, I think, you know, anywhere from 200 to 300 stores in the natural independent space. So oh, like, we're really focused. Yeah. And we're trying to get an anchor partner, like a Whole Foods or like a Sprouts um, to take on the product. And again, you know, we're not rushed to grow in the U.S. The goal is to, you know, really build out, you know, Southern California, Texas, um, those two regions really much on the, the, the independent natural route. And then, you know, slowly ease our way into the other markets. But the goal is really to make those two, two markets, which are pretty big, to feel like this is where Midday Squares is. They're all over the place here. They're the brand here. And that's going to take time. Um, and, and, and resources, but so our distribution is going to stay in the natural space over the next year and a half over the U S and then hopefully go into like those bigger, you know, bigger conventional spaces, um, you know, over the next two to three years. Got it. Okay. So you guys are really going to hone in on California, Texas, and not really like the Chicago East coast locations at first. I think after about eight months to 12 months, we're going to start tapping Northeast. Um, and then, you know, Chicago is a market that we're interested in a lot. Um, you know, again, they're, 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 you know, it's just from a resource standpoint, um, you know, especially being a Canadian company, yeah. um, getting our ground teams ready in the U S and just the high, the right hires and the right building, you know, eventually our business is going to be nine. I, I believe 85 to 90% in the U S um, not to say that we don't want Canadians to keep, you know, growing, obviously Canada's, it's our backyard and we love it, but it's just smaller in terms of, yeah. you know, the consumer base and just, you know, it's just, I think it's 10 times smaller. Um, yeah. so, you know, and, and the cool thing is in the U S what I'm excited about is the set of the refrigerated snacking is already built out by some great brands like perfect bar, um, you know, Hail Mary, honey mama, some great brands that we'd love to sit next to. Right. Um, we're different than that. We're all different. So, um, it's, it's, it's a great added value for the consumer. Right. Oh yeah, for sure. I know I was gonna say that sounds exactly what we deal with. Like Canada is about 10% of our, our U S business is kind of what we always kind of go off of. Um, yeah, I mean, it sounds like you guys just have like an incredible room for growth. Um, you've obviously hit on innovation. What is, do you want to give anyone a tease of like, what's like some of the, the next closest things you don't have to by any stretch, but, um, <laughs> what can people get excited about after, uh, chocolate bars? So, so the chocolate will always be the same. Um, you know, they're playing with all kinds of stuff. Like I, I just saw their, 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 the food science team's drawer full of products. They're That's not awesome, sure exactly what, yeah, they're not sure exactly what they're hounding down on. First of all, we got to do about six bars, six SKUs in terms of the first, you know, the first product line. Okay. So right now we have three, we're going to, our fourth one's going to be out in June, but then we want to do about six and then we're going to get out of the space. And, you know, for us, we want to own the afternoon. So we want to own the chocolate craving for the afternoon. That's, that's Makes our sense. goal. Um, and whatever innovation takes us up, we don't have, I don't have an answer for that yet. I will, yeah. I, as soon as we do, I will send you it your way, um, <laughs> even maybe for some sampling, but you know, the good, ex, the excitement is, and you know, the, 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 the whole MO here at our business is real chocolate, plant-based and real food ingredients is, is where we're going. And um, whatever we can make with that, that formula, we're going to go make. Love that. Love that. Yeah. When you guys come back on the U S we'll have to do another round on the podcast and, and pump it out to everybody to get them to go try it. hundred um, percent. Love that. Love that. Um, one, one thing I, I wanted to ask was uh, it sounds like obviously e-commerce is big for you guys. That's kind of like my bread and butter and, and what I've really honed in on. 
uh, in my career. Um, how did how has e-commerce for you guys shifted since COVID started? Um, I thought you were you'd be interesting to ask about COVID because I mean, obviously the bar category took a really big hit, but at the same time, a lot of indulgent things have seen lots of growth because people are at home and, and maybe less worried about some of that. So you guys are like the perfect combination of both. I was really curious to see like how COVID and e-commerce, it seems like brands and I'm kind of speaking ahead, but a lot of brands like you guys who really have been crushing it on e-commerce leading up to COVID. Um, you know, it's been interesting to hear like the stories that have gone on over the last year with, with what's happened. Yeah, you're hundred percent right. So the bar space was on fire previous to COVID. Like, you know, I remember, you know, it was on a tear. Everyone was eating bars. Everyone was on the go. Everyone was going to the gym, going to work, going to yeah. this, going to that. And bars was the most convenient product to have that gave you what you needed and, you know, you could enjoy. And, you know, we loved that, you know, offices, everything, that whole nine yards. And then when March came, um, you know, I remember looking at our sales and we looked at the three of us looked at each other and we're like, holy holy fuck, yeah, we just dropped yeah. 70% in sales out of retail sales. And we're like, what the hell? And we had a decent e-com business before. I would say it was like anywhere from 18 to 20% of our business. Um, so it was strong. It just wasn't like, it, it, was do, it was doing good, but we're like, you know, we ain't going to last on 18 to 20% of our business. We have rent, we have a factory, we right. have machines getting paid off. We have all this that we have 34, sorry, at the time we had 20, 24 people, I think okay. on, on, on payroll full time. And we're like, holy shit, like this is, this is dangerous. And we went home that night and we were depressed. And we actually thought that this was a moment that we might have to actually finally, like potentially have to throw in the towel. And, you know, like we, it was a lot of uncertainty and retailers were, you know, shorting their hours. You know, we had a lot of business and gyms and food service and that was completely That's shut. Kind of I figured. Yeah. Yeah. We were getting smoked there. And then um, we came back the next day and we said, okay, hey, we need a game plan. What are we doing? So we just shifted basically 80% of our resources from retail and shoved them into hiring D2C. So basically Nick's background, my partner came from the software space before, and he looked right. at everything with data and he loved data. And for him, he was like, Hey, this is my specialty. I'm going to get out of the ops and the financing and all that stuff of the business. And I'm going to go move into this department, hire out the teams we need. So who do we need? We need an ad buyer. We need a, we need a person that's ex expert at this. We need that. We need more creators. And we just went full throttle. We hired, I think over the COVID the span from March till about November, we hired about 12 or 14 people. Um, wow. And we went full guns blazing on, on D2C, on brand building and storytelling, and then just selling the shit out of the product online and, and less focus on retail. We said, okay, well, let it take its its hit wherever it's going to go. And it didn't, it dropped at first like this, like straight drop. And then retail started coming back because again, you said indulgent, we yeah. play, we were a chalk, we're on the chocolate side, right? So dark yeah. chocolate. So we still had the boost from that come in and D2C ended up going to 35, 40% of our business over this time. And for now, like, you know, it might even hit 45 in the next two months, but for us at the end of the day, we know the long play is also, it's just having very strong omni-channel, um, omni-channel businesses, like, you right. know, like retail and, and online, we want it to be a 60, 40, 65, 35. Um, but Again, we got hit really hard at the beginning, but then things started to change where indulgent became a thing instead of cooking and stuff, believe it or not. And our peers in the bar space were like, yo, this is affecting us dramatically. And I'm like, yo, I get it. Because at the end of the day, convenience and grab and go got completely shattered. Just their routine yeah. of life. I mean, just like that whole use case is so gone. Like you hit it on the head. I mean, for even like at RX, anyone that was like in that category, you know, the, the whole use case of, you know, I used to get up, work out, rush to the train, get on the train, go to work. You know, it was just like, you just go, go, go in between different physical locations. And now you're just at home. So it's like, you can just make food. You don't have to eat a bar. Um, very interesting. No, it's wild. I mean, I think um, for you guys, I mean, Amazon's interesting too, because Amazon's probably, is it a little tough? I mean, how are you guys handling? I'm assuming you're doing like drop shipping because you can't do FBA with like the, so the refrigerated so we're doing everything in house here. So it's yeah. shipping from here. Um, we ship to the customer. It's, you know, it started off as like $5,000 a month um, in sales and, and our U S one's growing, but our Canada one's really growing. So it started off as that. And then now it's, it, we're, you know, we're aiming for like anywhere. We want to hit about 50, 50 to 60 in that just on 50 to 60, like, you know, over the next coming months and we're close to it just on Amazon per month. Um, but awesome, our, our web, yeah, but our website's way stronger. And like, we just amped up the digital game. Like we literally put like a, imagine the volume and yeah. you just turned it up.
But before turning it up, we built the foundation there. So we said, what do we need? We need great content. We need to build funnel systems where we have people go into the ecosystem of midday squares. And we're not so much selling the product product, but we're bringing them into the story. And again, again, during this time, like you said, people, yes, could make stuff at home, like have like, you know, like a prep, a little snack or this, that, but again, people still like chocolate on a day-to-day basis, because again, it puts a smile on your face. Oh yeah. Um, And, and, and yeah, and, and that's where we just tripled down on it and our ended up like when we hit July that of that year, 2018, sorry, 2020, we, we started jumping. Our sales started jumping a lot, even in retail, they started to go up, but we started hitting our biggest months in overall sales. And um, it was great. We're like, holy shit, this is working. Now we're trying to figure out the balance of mm-hmm. how do we re- how do we rebuild the retail game? Right. Because again, we're, we're not a priority right now. The bar, the, the convenient grab and go section is not a priority in the store because they know the routine is still, still not there yet. It's still not back. No, people aren't at their offices. You know, yeah. we are because we're a factory, but you know, most people still aren't at their offices. So think about the grab and go. It's like, you're not going to go run. You're not on the go, go, go. So why would you grab bars? Think about yeah. it. Yeah. Right. Yeah, I know. It's going to be interesting to see how long it takes. I was just talking to my wife about this earlier today. I was like, it's, it's, I, we, we started, we're starting to know people who are getting the vaccine and it's like, it's weird. It's like, once you get enough people getting that, are people going to be back in the office sooner than later? Like I know originally everyone thought this summer was going to be the thing. And now I'm like, well, it's, we're getting, we're almost to the end of February. I don't know if the summer is, I don't, I personally don't think this year is realistic for most people. Like for me, it's funny. You know, you, you maybe drive to a warehouse, like, I'm on a big train that goes downtown and it's got, I don't know, fuck hundreds of people on it. And like, I can't imagine being packed into a train with all these people to get, it just seems so, it seems like it's been so long. So it'll be wild to see how long it takes to kind of get back to what was. Dude, I was just speaking to my girlfriend about this um, yesterday night, actually. I was like, I'm worried about the, the, the post COVID. So at what point are people, you know, here in Canada, the regulations are very strict. So like, you know, we have lockdowns, yeah. we have curfews, we have all these things. Actually, Oh, do you have curfews not, still too? Yeah. Yeah. We have curfews at eight o'clock every night. So I, I just came from Texas. You could just imagine uh, <laughs> Texas is wide open. And then I wild came west. here. So I, yeah, wild hell west. And I just said, you know, I worry, you know, obviously I hope everyone stays safe and sound. That's my, you know, our, our teams, our priority, our family, friends, you know, everything like that. But I worry about what happens after um, you know, when everyone's back, you know, when the vaccinations become a mass and things like that, it's, it's my worry is the mental health aspect. And are we going to be yeah. scared of each other? Um, and if so, that's going to affect office life. That's going to affect, you know, gyms, things like that, which directly, you know, correlate to RX and midday squares in right. terms of growth. Right. So I think what we said, our 2021 meeting, we said, let's write off the year in terms of retail. Let's not put that, let's, let's obviously put our attention to it and keep it, you know, maintaining and growing a little bit, but not, not jump. There's no, there's no yeah. reason to jump the resources in there because 2021, I believe in my personal opinion is a write-off in that sense, because I think we're still far away from offices, you know, people going back to their routine right. and maybe, maybe, maybe like October, November, I think yeah. we can. And then 2022 would be the year to blow up retail again, to yeah. really pump it back out because it will be like the roaring twenties when people mentally get back to being okay with each other and safe. And, you know, you feel like, you know, you can go do things again. Yeah. Um, but we're from that, you know, like I, and, and that scares me. It scares my peers in the, in the space that are with us in, in this space. And I always talk to other, you know, teams of, in the inner category and it's just, it's a bit scary. Yeah, it is. Right. I mean, it's, um, you know, it was weird in Chicago, for example, like the St. Patty's day, parade is like that whole thing in chicago is crazy it's like what probably the one thing all year long that most people know chicago for um and for them to cancel it again obviously uh you know it's two years in a row without having it it's just so weird to think like in the history of a lot of you know just the world like how many things are getting skipped and missed and i agree it's is now it's weird if you're like even if you're somewhere with a few people it, it just feels strange i know we went to a restaurant the other night we restaurants are like kind of open ish it's kind of it's very gray it, it, a lot of restaurants like if they were closed right now they just wouldn't make it through the winter which i'm sure you guys are in a similar boat yeah. um and we were at one and, and me and my wife actually we got covid at the beginning of the year so we like have a little bit of the antibodies we're hoping right now we, <laughs> i don't know for, for sure how that all works but it was weird being back in a restaurant even we were like oh it's so strange being like there's so many people in here without masks on like is this okay it just it is gonna be weird man it's gonna be weird to see like us all being back to what we were before and you know having these use cases that we're all we were always so used to and I, and I hope it does go back, man. I really do. And I think, I think once it does, um, things are going to be fire for, 
categories, I could grab and go yeah. again, because better for you is going to be a priority. And I think, listen, online's great. Don't get me wrong. Online's great, but I still think there's something to retail on, you know, in store. Yeah. I think there's a lot of, a lot to say. And then I think that the conventional grocery stores are starting to move into this natural space a lot more, which is really exciting actually, because, you know, you're seeing the biggest retailers, the biggest box rig, typical retailers that are starting to carry products that are like, well, they have our bar. I've seen it there, but you know, other products that are, you know, smaller brands that are, are, are making headways in the better for you space. And it's exciting to see that. Definitely. Yeah. I mean, I think this, the health and wellness space leading up to COVID if you were in it, you knew that people are tending to move towards it. I would be, if, from my opinion, a lot of people that were outside of that didn't get it. They were like, I don't know, maybe, I mean, it's like, why would I pay that much money for a bar? Blah, blah, blah. Now with COVID, I feel like everyone is like, I mean, whether it's eating healthier, taking your vitamins, taking minerals, making sure you're exercising, drinking less, like everyone is so much more focused on it that I, I agree with you. It's going to be like the roaring twenties. I think when we come out of just like, Brands that are in this space are just going to see a, a rocket ship of growth. And I think and it's if you're be... able to hold out, if no, you're able it. to hold out, yeah. no, dude, if you're able to hold out, then it's going to be that rocket ship. Well, it's going to be interesting too. I mean, you guys seem like you guys are doing the right things. Um, in my mind, the people who are going to win are, I like that concept of like kind of writing off retail for 2021, doing the right things to continue to grow, but not like hone in on it. But like, how can you do the right things to be ready on the starting blocks for 2022. I think the brands that are thinking like that are going to be the ones that are going to have huge 22s, 23s, 24s and beyond. Um, you know, people are, it's funny because what happens, I, I, I've noticed from talking to a lot of people, there were a lot of brands who weren't ready for the switch to e-com. So then they spent six, seven months trying to like develop e-com. They're, it's probably helping now, but a lot of them are like behind. They're like, they missed out on this crazy boom if they would have been ready. Um, I feel like they're gonna have their eye off the ball when it goes to getting back to retail. Like they're kind of, there's a lot of brands I'm noticing that are just kind of like six months behind. They're not thinking ahead. They are, but they're not, you know what I mean? It's like in the execution, it's not there. And that's what makes me, that's what worries me about the space is like, you know, there are some brands like, you know, we were prepared not for a pandemic, obviously, but we were prepared to, you know, our, our e-com was set up, our district, how we were shipping was set up. All we had to do is just scale it a little bit more. So hire a little bit more of this, hire a little of that. But we, we said, if this isn't going to work, and this is what I think a lot of entrepreneurs and people in the space, you know, working need to realize that we said, fuck it, we're going guns blazing. If it works, it works. And if it doesn't, we fail and we close the business. Like that right. all in mentality allowed us to grow during this time, because we said, we know the risk. There's a risk. Definitely. If you're spending all this money, we're, we're still burning a ton of money, but we're growing. At least we're chasing a lot of growth, which is great. But you know, we went that full in. We, it's like we went on that treadmill at 12.5 speed, but we didn't get off. We just kept going. And then, you know, we were okay knowing that God forbid um, this could fail at any point because things were changing in the space. Like, you know, where the product was like, just like where the consumer was going in the stores for the thing. They had a list of products they were wanting. Their frequency levels were less, you know, were less. They were list. They were scared of things in the store. They wouldn't ask for help. Like there's so many things that made a difference at the retail game, but on the e-com game, if you didn't have that ready, you're missing out because at the end of the day, people were like, oh, I'm on my phone. They're on, they're at home all day. They're on their computers. They're doing nothing. Let's just shop. Yeah. Right. And I think people are just now, I mean, I've been in e-commerce for a long time. People are just now realizing too, with the explosion of social media over the last few years, how you can like walk into a coffee shop, see a product on the shelf, walk out, you're on Instagram, walking down the street with your coffee. And you're like, oh shit, there's a, you know, there's a, there's an ad that you, you, you see it. It's like in the back of your head, you might click on it. You might not. Then you're at the office and you get on Amazon and you see it there. And then like, it's just like, you gotta be everywhere. Like being everywhere is be so everywhere. key. Yeah. Everywhere, yeah. man. And people don't realize it. Yeah. So it's interesting. I mean, it sounds like you guys are doing all that stuff. I mean, good for you guys. I, I think one thing I, I wanted to ask too was, I mean, you guys have a very cool story, very unique background. Obviously the people listening to this will understand that now. Um, how do you, like when you think back over, I mean, it's only been a couple of years, which is crazy probably for you guys. I know, I know even at RX when I joined, like, it feels like dog years when you're like one year feels like seven, you know what I mean? Especially when you're trying to build something. Um, what, what would be like, and there's probably been tons, but what is like one hurdle that you guys have faced that you would, you know, that you guys got over and you think back, like that could have been kind of the linchpin and you guys going under, if it was COVID, that's fine. But like, What's a good example for listeners who want to build something just on like something crazy you guys had to overcome early on? 
so so I'll give you two stories. One, which is really sad, um, but it, it it happened, and it's and we like to be transparent about it. Um, and the second one, I'll tell you more of that that linchpin. Okay. Um, so uh, I think my earphones died, but it's okay. Oh, you're good. I can still hear you. So yeah, so the first story is in at the beginning of it's, it's very sad, and the beginning of our as things were flying high in in terms of you know um, business in the first year, you know we were we were a very family culture at our business. You know, okay. like if you come to Montreal, you'll see that like everyone's so close here. Like it's it's there's no red lines. There's it's all blurred. It's everyone's just family, and we like that. Um, things you know we've learned how to adapt to that in terms of problems, communication, stuff like that. Sure. Um, we ended up doing our first staff retreat ever, um, and. It was, um, you know, up north where there's a lake and stuff like that. And, you know, we went up for the, for a day and we were going to have the team, you know, just hang out. We were like all excited. Like it's been a great year. We're on fire about to, we're about to raise money, um, you know, to grow even more. And, and um, we went on a, on a, on a, on a staff retreat and someone, you know, someone on our team, Stanley, rest in peace. He ended up drowning, tragic accident, like, you know, pure fluke. Yeah, dude, pure fluke. And that shocked that shocked everyone that obviously it's very tragic and it's, it's, it's mentally shocking for anyone to go through. And it's very sad, but that, that was with a real, that was a decision between the three of us. We were like, I don't know if we want to continue this, not because we didn't believe in it or not because something, you know, it wasn't negligible at all. It was a literally fluke, like, you know, fluke, fluke. And, you know, we were just like, how can we rebuild the team to oh, be yeah. strong and get through something so difficult like this? And that really, um, it was tough, man. And we oh, worked, bad, man. we gave our team like, you know, a month off and they ended up showing up the, on that Monday. I remember it happened on a Saturday. They showed up on that Monday afternoon to come produce because even though retailers said, I'm so sorry to hear about this, um, you know, blah, 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 which they were truly genuine about, they still have a business to run and their customers still want products there on the shelf. So if you could fulfill it, great. If you can't, there'll be obviously consequences. So they ended up just showing up. The team showed up without being told to, cause it didn't have to, that, you know, we were going to work with therapy, you know, group sessions, stuff like that. And I've never seen something come together yeah. and like bond that we went through. Um, and yeah, that was just like a lesson for all of us that anything could happen in life with the snap of a finger. Sure. Um, oh yeah. We actually got stronger as a team and anyone that goes through that kind of um, as a business, I think, you know, at that, le- at that stage, at this, that level of how big we were as a team, we weren't that big. Um, you know, we'd probably close the business, but we, we, we had resilience and we did it for Stan and Stan, um, you know, we have, mem- you know, he's, he, he's a legend. And, and at the end of the day, you know, like I said, things happen and uh, it was hard. It was definitely really, really hard. And we share that story because again, it's important for people to know things because at the end of the day, um, you know, there's tough times and that was a hard time. And then also the actual, another linchpin was um, we, at one point, Leslie thought that this manufacturing wasn't going to be able to happen. And we, were going to, we weren't going to be able to make the bars because she went to go test machines after machines after machines for four months straight. Um, and they were all telling her, we can't do your chocolate. We just can't, that the machines can't do it. And she was sending, think about it. Every time she'd go, she'd send batches, batches of product because right. raw, raw, raw materials, $50,000 worth of stuff sometimes. And it would just not work, not work, not work. She'd come home, not work, go again, go again. And we, she, she said to us, she's like, she did she didn't tell us this but she felt that this might not work and then she figured it all out but that moment was like if that can't scale then we're finished the business sure. is done so yeah. again trusting your partners is the lesson we put trust into her to figure it out and she gave us her trust to that she's going to make it happen and she did and um i think it goes to anything that happens is trust is is is, is a really big trust and, and accountability is a really big thing that you know your team needs and um, your any partnerships or co-working relationships should have. Yeah, no, that's I mean both great stories, great advice. Um, it's crazy. It's you you sometimes when I hear those stories, you got to wonder like how many good ideas. First of all, I you know what do they say? I, who knows? But most good ideas stop there at the idea to even get to the point where she was at to to be in that position where you're sending physical raw materials to get it produced you got to wonder like how many brands fold in the towel 
when they can't figure it out that never make it to life. So, I mean, it goes to show how much work you guys have put in the struggles you've overcome. And, um, you know, obviously I'm sure there'll be more in the future, but you always remember those, those tough times and like how close you guys get together. Right. I mean, that's kind of, I think the key to building a business. You need grit. A lot of people don't have grit um, or resilience. And I think that's, what's missing in our generations coming is um, they're all creative, great ideas, great, great, great things. But as soon as something hard comes, as soon as something tough comes, um, there's a lot of turning away um, or stopping yeah. instead right. of trying to trailblaze through. Um, and that's something that, you know, I think generation that was like now that they're 50 to 60, 60, 60, 70 years old, they were tough. Yeah. They, yeah. they had grit. Cool grit. And I think our, we just need to figure a way to get that back, that type of grit back for our generations to come and businesses to start because um, entrepreneurship is really cool. Um, you know, and you're a loser till you've made it technically, you know? Yeah. And, right. Um, you gotta be able to take that. You gotta be able to take that. You're you eat dog. I eat dog shit every day until, and one day it will turn into souffle, hopefully. Um, but you know, it is what it is. And I, I, I chose the choice. I chose, all chose to do, to do this journey. You know, it was our choice. Right. Um, but you know, there's moments like that are up to here. And then there's moments here. You got to figure out how to keep those things, um, calibrated. Got it. Yeah. Great advice. Great advice. Um, obviously I can see behind you, you, you read. So one, these are like the last few that I always ask founders. I love to hear just what you're up to. Um, you know, you, you can use book. I always say, if you, if you don't, if you're not a reader, obviously you are, you can say podcast or something else, source of knowledge. What is like the most gifted or most shared book source of knowledge that you'd suggest to the, to the listeners? Two books. So I've just finished in lights today, um, this morning. Okay. Connie, I love that guy. Perspective on everything. Nothing. It's not only really business related. It's more his life perspective, but how he sees things is just, it's incredible. Um, and how you can start to look at things in your own life. So that's one thing. Number two, it's actually behind me up there. You can see it in the corner, the red one. Yeah. It's called good company. Okay. Um, the co-founder of, uh, Home Depot. Um, oh. he is what an entrepreneur that guy is, man. Like he just gets how, you know, the, the real lesson of the story is core values are extremely important to stay true to your core values. And he did that through all his businesses and, and those core values helped him thrive at Home Depot, thrive at the Atlanta Falcons, thrive with Mercedes-Benz Stadium. All the businesses he's done have been a big hit because of his core values. Got it. Love that. That's a great one. I have not heard of that one. I'll check that out. I'll add it to this. Um, so obviously, you know, you're a co-founder of a brand that is growing like weeds and you guys have tons of stuff going on. Um, what tools do you use to track your goals, track, like just what you need to get done this month, this week. And then like shit, you're getting done today. Some people it's pen and paper. Some people it's apps. Like what is your kind of your way of getting shit done? So we have a to-do thing um, built on Basecamp. Basecamp's a really good platform um, internally that we use. And then also we have a software engineer named Madison. She's out in Texas, corporate Christie, I think, Texas. She's, she's amazing. She, she creates systems for us. She builds the systems with my, with my partner, Nick. They work on these crazy systems that are customized for all our things. We use Airtable as one of the things that help us do it, but um, they build everything customized for how we operate the business from the lean manufacturing to the sourcing to all that, to the stuff with customer experience, catching, you know, what, what how we do qualitative, you know, analysis and even quantitative. And um, I think every company should invest in a software engineer that understands how to build those kinds of systems because they save you so much time um, down the line and just, you start to put everything that on, on these things. So you're never blind. You're never oh, blind. Oh, Oh, that's awesome. Very cool. So you guys have, I mean, that sounds like you're very technologically savvy, makes sense with your brother-in-law. Um, so you guys are, are definitely on that route. That's awesome. Um, the last question and the most important, how can people get involved with Midday Squares? How can they follow you, Jake? And then a dual question, since you guys are in Canada, we do have listeners in Canada. So for those folks, what's the best place to find you guys? And in the US, what's the best place to find you guys today? Yeah, cool. So um, you can find us on uh, for social media purposes on Instagram, Facebook, or LinkedIn at Midday Squares, um, one word. Um, you know, for my personal Jake Carls, check me out. I like to be a little crazy and whack. Um, <laughs> I'm all about being, you know, I'm all about being unapologetically myself. Love it. Um, and then for for Canadians, you, you know, go on our website middaysquares.com and you'll find the store locators, or you could buy it off the website. Um, it's free shipping. 
And then for Americans, you know, again, you could get it off our website or if you're in Cali, we do sell at Erwan Market um, oh, nice. out there in the refrigerator. Um, but over the next, like I said, six to eight months, you'll see in about two to 300 stores, um, again, in the natural space. And uh, we live next to the perfect bars. So Love um, it. yeah, check and check out our podcast. Like you mentioned before, yeah, definitely. Um, I think fireside chats that are just about like us three, you know, shooting a shit about what's actually going on in our business. No, I was, I was going to say, I was going to plug that for you guys being obviously a podcast host myself. Fucking love your guys' podcast. It's so, so cool. Very different. I think more brands should do that. I've been trying to push the brands I'm involved with to start podcasts and you guys produce a really high quality one too. So I wanted to give you guys props on that. Sounds great. You got great intros. The whole thing is fantastic. So kudos to you. Thank you. Yeah. Appreciate it. it. So yeah. And I appreciate you having me on, man. I had a great time. We had a great conversation. Jake, appreciate it so much. It was great to get to know you a little bit. Good luck with everything with Midday Squares. And um, I'll add all this stuff to the show notes so everyone can check you guys out and try the products. And um, yeah, man, it was great to get to know you. I'm glad that we made the time work and I appreciate it. I'm pumped, babe. Let's go. <laughs> awesome, man. Well, stay warm up there, okay? Yeah, I need to. You too. Stay all right, safe. Yeah, I appreciate it. It's cold down here too. All right, man. We'll have a good one. Thanks. Thanks.